So listen to what it says over in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. It says this, And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John talking. But he said to me, See that he talked to an angel. See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, listen to this, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Let me share it with you. Father, thank you for your blessing. And I pray, Father, that I would say thank you today for making the name of the Spirit. It's your word that really ought to blow us away. It's never a question. So, Lord, I pray simply may the words of my mouth, my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength, and our redemption, and everything that we can do. We can't do this without you. We can't have church without you. We can't walk out of this building and go about our daily lives without you. We need to come with you. So, Father, be with us and change this thing. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We also want to welcome those that are watching us by video or watching us by uh, YouTube or by viral social media. We really welcome you to be with us. Let me read that verse again to you, but let me read it then out of the old Listen to what this says. And I want you to see how, and as I read this, I want you to hear how connected this thing is. Then I, how Jesus connected it. It says, Then I fell prostrate at his feet to worship, to pay divine honor to him. But he restrained me and said, Refrain. You must not do that. I am only another servant with you and your brethren who have accepted and hold the testimony borne by Jesus. Worship God. For the substance, essence of the truth revealed by Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy. Now listen to the rest of this. The vital breath, that inspiration of all inspired preaching and interpretation of the divine and will purpose including both mine and yours. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus is at the center. It doesn't matter whether you talk to maybe some people in here or not pre-millennial. Maybe you're all millennial. Because there's the whole point. Jesus is at the center. We teach the premillennial. We believe that, that we're not going through the tribulation. We believe that we're that the rapture is going to take place before that. But listen to this. One fourth of the Bible is prophecy. One fourth of the Bible is prophecy. It has been identified as 1817 verses are all prophetic in the Bible. And here's my question. And my question is, how can any church or how can any preacher not recognize the importance of teaching on prophecy? And yet I hear of churches all over this country that never mention the fact that Jesus is coming in. I also hear that there are preachers coming out of seminary now that don't believe that Jesus is even coming. The Bible is the only book that hangs its entire credibility on the ability to write history in advance without error. Well, there's been those that have tried to disprove it. There's been those that have tried to find a little mistake in it. And every time they think, aha, here's the mistake, they find out later through archaeology or other things, it was exactly the way the Bible has said it was. And Jesus is the centerpiece of all prophecy. And Jesus is the cause of all prophecy. Prophecy speaks about what's in the future. The revelation in 1910 makes it plain. Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy. So how in the world can you not even talk about prophecy? No matter what the book of the Bible you pick to read, Genesis through Revelation, the first thing we need to look or try to realize is who is Jesus in that book. Look for Jesus. Especially in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Hosea, especially in the book of Daniel. Uh, Jesus is paramount in those books. When I turn in the New Testament to Matthew 24, Luke 21, or Mark 13, uh, it's all about Jesus. Revelation, the book of Revelation, when you open it up to chapter 1, verse 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. So for prophecy to make sense, if you don't include Jesus in it, 
the master key, which is Jesus. And when people do, don't do that, then the pieces don't fit. They don't fit together. It's only when we include Jesus that we begin to make sense of this. At the core of all prophecy, which is in your future and my future, is the person of Jesus Christ. So if it's in my future and in your future, why in the world would we not want to know what's going to be there? What the sun, S-U-N, is to the solar system and to the planets, the S-O-N, the sun, is to history. All history revolves around Jesus Christ, whether people know it or not. And God gives us a philosophical idea of what history is when he says in Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in all things in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what he says? Both which are in heaven and which are He's saying, I'm going to gather together all history, all time, all things, and I'm going to gather it all together in one place, and I'm going to put it all in my blessed Son, Jesus. Lord looks at history and God sees time and space. He sees it coming up. People ask the question in our day and time, what's this world coming to? I love what Adrian Rogers said. Adrian Rogers said, it's all coming to a glorious end. We're coming to a time that Jesus is going to come back again. When he does, his mathematical formula is the summing up of all things of Jesus Christ, both in heaven and earth. When he adds it all up, it all comes to Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of all prophecy, but he's the cause of all prophecy too. So for us, when you talk about when you talk about Ezekiel thirty-eight or thirty-nine and the bear coming down, when you talk about that that First Thessalonians four and the, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. So shall we ever be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with those words. When we hear all that, it's all talking about one person. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. And I tell you, it gives my heart joy this morning to just talk about Jesus for a second. Just to talk about Him. He is the, the pillar of all existence. And so, when, and so for us to understand why Jesus is the cause, then we need to look back at all Scripture. God exists as a, a Trinitarian being. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that they're absolutely intimately connected to each other. In other words, each member of the Trinity promotes the other. There is no division in the Trinity. God the Father loves the Son. God the Son loves the Father. God loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Son. When the Holy Spirit came, what did He do? He came, He said, I, all things I'll, I'll bring to your remembrance, all things that Jesus did. He talks about there's no division in the Trinity. God did not create you because He needed you. You understand that? He didn't create you because He needed you. No, God was self-sufficient. He had no need without. He had no need without. If we weren't there, He still would not have a need. He had His Son. He had Jesus. He had the person of the Holy Spirit. He had the angels. God was and is self-sufficient, and He doesn't need anybody. But God the Father loved God the Son, and God the Son, and God the Father loved the Holy Spirit, and God the Son loved the Father, and God the Son loved the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, He came to speak only of Jesus because He loved Jesus, and He also loved the Father. And as a result, they love one another. And when two beings get together and true love takes place, another being is produced. In other words, you and I are a product of the love of God. Oh, let me say that again. You and I are a product of the love of God. God loved His Son so much, He wanted another image of His Son, so He created you and He created me. He loved us so much. What a wonderful thought it is, rather than thinking I came up out of the glue in some swamp or something. You know? That I, I had to crawl up on a, as, I, as a reptile or something, I had to crawl up on the, on the shore or whatever. No, I was created in the loving hands of a loving Father who had a purpose in me. I was created for His glory. I was created to reflect who He is. That's what I was made for. And so they love one another. 
people, but, but at first, God created a being. Before He ever created us, He created an image that would reflect Him. And that image was angels. Angels were a mirror back to God of His own being. God the Father created one shining angel. You read Ezekiel 28, and His name was called Lucifer. His body had pipes on it as to sing and to praise God, and He was called Lucifer, which means shining one. This is why the devil gets so ticked off when we get in here and you start lifting hands to God and why you start praising Him. This is why the devil can't stand it when a congregation gets together and says, let's uplift Jesus. Let's just praise God. Let's, rather than looking at all the negative things in this world, rather than looking at all the problems we got, just, as Peter says, we've been called to bless and not to complain. And as a result of that, man, he doesn't like that. He gets ticked off at us when we do that. But God said, let's create a mirror image of ourselves so we can see how good we look, is what God said. But Lucifer looked into that mirror, and when he looked into that mirror, here's what he said. He said, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's, who is who, uh, on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? In Isaiah 14, it tells us that five times he said this in Isaiah 14, 13 through 15. For you said in your heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol and the lowest depths of it. I will ascend. I'll make my throne there, is what he said. But he looked into that mirror and he wanted to come back straight. So what was Lucifer thinking? Listen to what he's thinking. He's looking at the same thing. same thing that's going on in this country. And this is why we're in trouble today. Because we try to live our lives independently. We told the Lord, God Almighty, we don't need you. I really believe that, that uh, 2011 was a shot across our bow that basically said, get ready. You need me. Get ready. You need me. And we didn't heed to that. We didn't listen to that. How many people, good people living their lives in America today that have never even thought about giving a hand? that haven't given God the time of day, lived their life in such a way that they're independent of God. How, you, you, you live in, oh, I don't need the church. I don't really need the Bible. I don't really need to pray. And then all of a sudden, here comes something along that just blows your socks off, and you don't know how to handle it. Why is it that God tries to warn us and tell us to get ready? We don't understand it. And so, Lucifer's sin is trying to be independent. It's the same thing when you have a teenager living in your home and he wants to, they want to be independent of your rules. They want to be their own boss while living under your roof. I would say this to any teenager here that wants to do that. If you're a teenager here today and you, you, uh, you don't like living under your mom and dad's roof and you want to be independent of your parents' rules, well, let me give you some advice. Move out. Pay your own way while you still know everything. Amen? Lucifer's problem was that God was omniscient. You see, he tried to do a coup d'etat. He was going to take over heaven and earth and everything else. But what he didn't understand, it's hard to do a coup d'etat when the one that you're trying to do the coup d'etat on knows everything. And God knew everything. He knew what he was to do, everything. He knows what you're doing. So Lucifer fell, and he took one-third of the angels with him. I'm going to tell you. We need to pray like never before that God would direct our path. Because there's a lot of people wanting to take you with them in the day and time that you live in. And there's so much information out there that's not true. If you're not careful, that's exactly what will happen. They'll take you down a road you don't want to go. And you'll end up suffering the ramifications of it. And so the Bible says this. It says over in Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me. Serpent unto everlasting fire, and listen to this, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for you. 
have any intention of you going to hell. That's why he sent Jesus into hell. The hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what the Bible says. Now, Jesus says over in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well, what's he saying here? Let me tell you what he's saying here. In other words, Jesus has said, I was there when that took place. I saw Satan fall. I saw that fall. I saw when that took place. In John 1, 1, it says, John wrote this, In the beginning was the Word, and so and, and, and the Word was with God, uh, and in the beginning, was, uh, it, it, he was in the beginning with God. What's he saying to us? So Jesus existed before he was born. All through the scriptures in the Old Testament, we see things that are called Christophany. What's Christophany? It's a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. We see him appearing we see in with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they look in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire, and here's what he says. He says to him, says, I see one. I see, I, we, we do not put three in, but I see a fourth one. And he looks like the Son of Man. When, when Mo, Abraham was sitting in his tent door, here came two angels to him along with another person. And the other two angels were going on to, going on to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy him. Who was the other person? It was Jesus. Christophany, the pre-Bethlehem appearance. Jesus has always been. He's God. He's not, he has no beginning. He has no end. It's like Melchizedek. He's, he's, he's that way. You know, and, and here's something else that's interesting. Jesus says this, and he says, I saw Satan fall. He doesn't say, I saw Lucifer fall. He says, I saw Satan fall. You see, the problem is God always changes your name to fit your character. If you're not living the way it is, you look through the Bible how God, when people started living the way they wanted to, just like 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 Jacob did, and when I, when he finally started doing the things that God wanted him to do, he changed his name, which means prince, and he changed his name to Israel. God has our name by cause of our character. So hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and his demons, but God said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, I'm going to put that sentence on hold. And that's why we're dealing with Satan right now. And Satan, I'm going to create a much inferior being to the angels. And this other being that he's going to create, he can't fly, he can't, he can't disappear, he's not going to have the power that you have, Satan, or Lucifer. But I will demonstrate to you, Satan, that I can take an inferior being and accomplish my goal. And that's why it says over in Psalm 8, 5, that he created and he made him a little lower than the angels. That's you and I. He made us a little lower than the angels. Amen. God was saying to Satan, I want you to see what commitment this is. That's what I want you to see. To demonstrate through this lesser creature called man what God can do with less when less is committed to him than he could do with more than more by rebelling against him. See, the Bible says there's not many wise guys. I think God's got my picture in heaven. See, all these voices point to him trying to talk about somebody going into ministry or something. I think he's pointing to my picture. He's very busy. He's busy.
beside that garden. Look at what it says over in Psalms about man. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you have mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works in your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish, and the sea that passes through the path of seas. You see, God put him there because, and it also says in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, he had to separate the earth from the heavens. But you know what happened in the Garden of Eden. God had said to Adam, I'm going to give you my word. This is becoming the very same thing that you and I. I'm going to give you my word, and in your power, you'll bless the earth. God's saying to you that same thing. In your power, you're a lesser being. You cannot do this. There is no way anybody in here can live the Christian life in their own strength. And this is why the book of Zechariah says, It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Oh, if we could just get that in our head. This is why the whole 15th chapter of the book of John, where Jesus said, except you abide in me and my word abide in you, you cannot do the thing. Without me, you can do nothing, is what he said. And so he said, I'm going I'm to put you, I'm going to give you my word, and you're a lesser being. But listen to this. He says to him, but when you trust my word, you're going to be a superior being. You're going to trust my word, you'll be a superior being. See, this is exactly why over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And let me tell you something. God wants His will done. Because Jesus told us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, God's will is always done. Well, how do I do that? I saturate my being with the Word of God. I study the Word of God. I meditate on the Word of God. I let the Word of God just saturate my bank, uh, my brain because the Word of God is the fuel of the Holy Spirit. And when you're getting into a mess or when things are starting happening in your life and, and you don't know which way to go and, and you don't know which way to go, the left or the right, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit inside you resurrects that, uh, that, that Word of God that comes up and you say, man, I know exactly. Satan convinced Adam and Eve to abandon God's Word. See, every situation that you and I are in, the first question I ought to ask, what I should ask is this, what does the Word of God say? He, he, he got them to abandon God's Word. Now, I wonder how many people make bad decisions or make other things happen because they abandon the Word of God. all this, and God does not intervene. Why didn't God intervene? Because God has given you free will. He's given you the right to choose. You don't want to choose Him? Okay, you go straight to Him. You don't want to live your life for Him? You can just go straight up. You want to, you want to go through all the problems of life and have all the things beating you up one side and down the other? Then you go right ahead. God says, okay, I'll stand by. He's a gentleman. He'll never knock the walls down to get into you and try to get into your head. He won't do it. Oh, but if you want to trust Him, if you want to walk with Him, He said, let's walk together. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So as a result, we have this great angelic conflict with man. And the Bible says over in Genesis 3.15, as God talks to Satan, He 
says, I will put enmity, that's anger, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is the only place in the Bible where the Bible says that the woman has the seed. Why was the woman have the seed here? Because Jesus was born of a virgin. Every place else in the Bible, men have the seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. You, he's saying, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel. When did he bruise his heel? That's the crucifixion. He's had him crucified. He thought, boy, that's the attention of the Lord. This is the Lord. So that is what he did. He shall bruise his heel. You see, the battle that you and I are facing this morning is not for us to go out and fight the battle. The battle that we're facing, what it is, is not to overcome the battle. The Bible is just to maintain what Jesus has already won. He's already won the battle. He just wants us to just trust Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and lean not unto our own understanding. Just do it. Just do what God wants us to do. So as a result, we have this angelic conflict. and But we... But what many don't see yet in Ephesians tells us where our battle really is. We go through sickness, and we go through we go through financial troubles and relational problems, and we go through all these things, and we just think, well, that's just part of life, and that's part of life, blah, 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 blah. But, but what we don't fail, what we fail to see is what the Bible says in Ephesians six twelve. What does it say? Listen to what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against things, against spiritual hosts, against the heavenly places. When 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 Jesus was talking to the disciples about going to the going to the cross, Peter said, "We don't even talk about this cross here." What what did Jesus say? He said, "Get behind me, Satan." Why did he say that? Because he could look beyond Peter and he could see Satan standing behind. It wasn't Peter speaking; it was Satan behind him that was urging him. So from Genesis 3.15 on, there is this red line through the Bible. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, there's this red line in the Bible. So every story, every conflict from the Old Testament up to the resurrection of Jesus is Satan trying to destroy the bloodline of Jesus. Because he knows his head will be crushed. He knows his time is running out. Jesus is the center of this prophetic conflict. And the red line through the Bible is why Matthew and Luke both start out opening up their books with the genealogy of Jesus. It had to be that way in order for... See, this is why Jesus tells us that I, a thief comes some other way. I didn't come that way. I didn't climb over top. I came through the door. Well, what was the door? All the prophetic 300-something prophecies that said, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to fulfill this. He's going to fulfill He's going to be born in Bethlehem. All these things are happening. That's what he said. He fulfilled all those prophecies. So Jesus is the center of this prophetic conflict that we're all in. Jesus is the center. So in Luke 24, and I, I'm not going to read all of this, in Luke 24, which is the, almost the last, I guess it is the last chapter, the book of uh, of the book of Luke. Listen to what he says, because Jesus has now he has now he has now gone to Calvary. He's died. He's he's resurrected. And now over the, I had a young man one time tell me. I asked him. I said I asked him this question because he was having some doubts and things. And I asked him. I said, let me ask you this question. He said, well, I just don't know what I believe. And I said, well, what's the main thing that separates Jesus from all the other things? Well, two or three people to establish a witness. I said, okay, that's pretty good. I said, how many people saw Jesus after he was resurrected? He said, well, probably four to five hundred. I said, almost six hundred saw Jesus after his resurrection. And so some people say, oh, well, they were hallucinating. No, the psychiatrist will tell you that no two people hallucinate together. 
So, so you know, so we got Jesus, and so here he is. He's he's resurrected, and he's visiting all. He's one of the first people he he visits with Peter. Don't you love that? That's why Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Jesus Jesus goes to Peter. He and Jesus had a meeting on their own. You know, this is why three times he asked him, "Do you, Peter? Do you love me?" Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Lord, you know. Because every time that Jesus would say, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Peter would come back and say, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. He'd come back again. And finally, Jesus settled for the brother like a brother. He finally said, Lord, if you phileo me, then I phileo you. Now, so he comes up and there's these two disciples that are walking the six miles from Emmaus all the way in Jerusalem. And they're talking. And they're talking about all the bad things that's happened. And, and they're talking about how disappointed they are and crushed they are. And they're saying simply that this is happening. And so when it happens, then look at verse, starting with verse 25. They come up and they, uh, and, uh, and they say to him, oh, really, starting with verse 21. Let me read 21 here. It says, But we're hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today is the third day since things happened. Yes, and certain women of our country who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they also had risen in the angel's life. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, see, they don't see because the Bible said his, their eyes were beholding. And they're walking up, and as they do this, they're walking on to Emmaus, and as they do this, they, the conversation with one another, and and are you, they said to Jesus, are you only a stranger in the Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened here? And they said to him, what? And Jesus said, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus just asked them, I want you to go along with me. And so they walk along. And then the Bible says in verse 25, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Do you believe this week? Do you believe in all the things that the prophets have spoken? Do you believe what this wrote to you? Do you? This, uh, and, and spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Don't you recognize what the Bible says would take place? Jesus has told us the love of many will wax cold in these last days. Guess what? Now, see, why will the love of many wax cold? Because, uh, because the Bible says simply that for lawlessness will increase. You know what the big thing right now is? The Christians in the United States are getting murdered. There's been more murders in this country than any other time in the history of the United States. Why is that happening? Say, well, we've got this one. Things are going worse and worse than that. And so he, he talks, and, and, and then it says this, verse 26, Ought not Christ who have suffered these things and entered his glory? We need to read the Word and find out what's going to happen. Verse 27, and listen to this, At the beginning, as Moses and all the prophets, he expounded on them and all the Scriptures and the things concerning him. Did you notice that what it says? It says from Moses and all the prophets, the old, he goes back to the Old Testament and he takes them all the way through the Old Testament, all the way up to here where he's there. Why? Because all prophecy, all prophetic things, it centers around who? Jesus. And if you notice what verse 27 says, verse 27 says, concerning him first. He's in the center. Concerning concerning him. And so he opens up this Bible study with Moses and the prophets. And, and, and I know that you heard about Daniel and the lion's den and the Hebrew boys in Sunday school, but everything you read about in the Old Testament is some form or fashion about Jesus. Jesus was saying, everything you read about in the Old Testament is about me. Which means if you miss me, you miss the Old Testament. I don't know what's wrong with Andy Stanley. Why would a man tell a group of people that are Bible believing that you're not to read the Old Testament? What a whoa. He doesn't know what he's talking about. When I, I just read this, he says, everything in the Old Testament coming all the way through is about me. But 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now all these things happen to them as examples, and they're written for our 
Christian upon whom the kids of the ages have come. That's what he says. Hebrews 11 is the summation of all the people in the Old Testament for that, of the faith that they had. Why? But they were looking for a city whose makers and builders were the hands of God. That's what they were looking for. They're talking about Jesus. But the New Testament is an explanation of the Old Testament. But most important is that we see Jesus. You know, you can read this book all, all the time, but if you don't see Jesus in it, you miss it. You've got to see Jesus in it. The whole Old Testament is designed to point to Jesus. Why did they sacrifice lambs? Because they were waiting for the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Why did they? Why was shedding of blood? Because Jesus shed His blood on Calvary. And how many Old Testaments were called types of Jesus Christ? If you want the Bible to come alive, look at Jesus in the book of Luke. And Luke 27 is going to turn into a chapter from the Old Testament called the Chronicles of the Christian. You see, the Bible is the menu. Jesus is the meal. If you read the menu, you never get the meal. You'll never get satisfied. This is why Matthew 17, this is why when the transfiguration took place, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and Moses and Elijah showed up. We think the reason that Moses and Elijah was there was because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. You know, I'm reading this and I discovered another reason. You know, the other reason that Moses and Elijah were there at the Transfiguration when Jesus took glory came forth is because, think about this, Moses represented those who had had or will die on this earth. He represented those people that... First Thessalonians 4 says the dead in Christ. He represented those people that's already died. Well, why would Elijah get out of here? Elijah took all he he took the express way. He took the fiery chariot and went on to heaven. Amen. So who does he represent? He represents for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall uh, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive shall be caught up to be with the Lord and so shall we. Matthew 17, 10, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Elijah was the lead prophet, so they represented the Old Testament. Then, then who was Peter, James, and John there? They represented who? The New Testament. So here's says Jesus. Here's the Old Testament. He's the bridge between. Old Testament. Here's the New Testament right there. Then Peter could have said, well, that was the Old Testament. But when he did, all of a sudden, watch this, Jesus shows up. He unbuckled his flesh, and the glory of God began to come forth. When he shone forth, the Bible says, the glory of God came down in such a way and shone off of Jesus that they couldn't even look upon him. His raiment became so white, or his garments became so white as clean with, with this. And, you know, and, and all the disciples, the light was so much that the disciples had to bow down and cover their face. And then here comes God the Father, comes down in a cloud, and He tells them, Hear Him! That's what we're trying to think of. There are all these other voices out there in the world. All these, you know, all these voices. You know, I, I see some of these people come on television. I don't even pay attention to them. Hear Him. You know, just hear Him. Home with him. They said, You've got to come home with him. And so he does, and they still don't know who he is. 
John, and I'm almost ready to take my seat, but in John 5, 39, 40, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders that day, and he says to them, because they love the scribes, especially, they love to sit around and talk about it and search the scriptures. So he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. You're searching the scriptures, and these are things you found, and go to verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. What's he saying? He says, he's speaking to those religious leaders that
just like God measures His relationship with you by the relationship you have with Him. This is why you can talk about, you can believe in God, but what impresses the Father is what you and I do with His Son. See, you will never get in trouble by saying you believe in God. I know all kinds of people. you might have a headache for believing in Jesus Christ because the world hates Him because you've identified what God you're talking about. And this is why Philippians 2, chapter 10, verse 11 says, that it's the same at the name of Jesus. Listen to this. Every knee should bow, all those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's your purpose. Father only gets excited when you make a big deal about His Son, Jesus. If you're so ashamed of Jesus, the Bible says the Father will not hear you. This is why Paul wrote over in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who died for me. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who forgave me. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who made me. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who stood with me all these years. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who has given me everything I have. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who has provided food on my table and put a roof over my head. I'm not ashamed of Jesus who gave me purpose in life. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bible says we live and we move by His 